0: Okay, so mm-hmm. Candela Obscura, the Quickstart Guide, it's out. It's out, it's baby.
1: Out, baby. Yeah, that it, was our secret project, everyone. <laughs> I hope you're all as excited about it as we are, um, because yeah, that was the secret project that we took a, a brief hiatus to focus on.
0: I'm so glad that the Quickstart Guide is out in the world and people can start previewing the game and playing
1: it. You know what I'm most excited for? Mm. I want people to share the characters they make. I want oh, to know no. who every single person's PC is. Like, who did they put into this world?
0: It, it, my dream is just for people to post about their games and their characters and fan art, ideally, mm-hmm. of their own characters. Oh, yeah. it's. I'm, I'm very excited. It is only 26 pages of what will eventually be an about 200-page book. Mm-hmm. So it's the briefest of little looks, but
1: I'm so excited. It's been a long work in progress, and and you've been hard at work on it, and I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much for coming out and hanging with us
0: and working on it.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, it was the most fun. I got to go out to L.A. mysteriously. No one in my life really understood or knew why. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I got to work on this super amazing project, and that was awesome.
0: Yeah, it did feel a little bit like sleepover camp when we weren't working. You coming out here? Oh, so yeah. that was really fun little twist on work.
1: <laughs> it was the most fun I've had working on uh, like that intensely in a long time. Cause you know, normally when you're working really intensely, you're just like stressed because everyone around you is stressed. But like I haven't laughed that hard in a <laughs> long time.
0: <laughs> Many an inside joke were born from your trip. And the work, and I would be shocked if listeners aren't like, what are you people talking about at
1: some point? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There were voices and characters that existed only in the ephemeral time and place of that project.
0: Put Tracy and I in a room together for 24 hours a day for basically like 30 days, and Cosmic Soup comes out.
1: Ooh, okay. No one else can take it. That's my new band name. Cosmic Soup? Cosmic Soup. I'm sure that's already a band name. Oh, you're probably... It's probably a really cool indie, like, femme punk rock band. Soup as a word is a little icky. It's, like, just on the edge for me. That's why it's an indie punk rock band. It's, like, interesting but a little unsettling. So it looks like Cosmic Soup... Definitely exists on, <laughs> on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. I'm so jealous of Cosmic Soup right now.
0: Um. All right, everyone. Uh, while we're thinking of a band name, I'm Rowan Hall. <laughs> and I'm Tracy Harrison. And this is the Willing and Fable podcast, already named. And it's the podcast <laughs> that brings you original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery,
1: and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. Each week, we research a topic from history or mythology, and then we write an original story to go along with that topic. So if you'd like to support our show, please consider leaving us a review, because frankly, they always make our day.
0: You can also support William and Fable by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Fable. We so appreciate you helping us keep the mics on, the lights on, the smiles smiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs>
1: And speaking of which, we have some new patrons to thank. Yay! Thank you for joining us. <laughs> thank you so much to Lada, Jace, and Slay. Slay is a really cool name. It's a good one. It's
0: a good name. I don't know what the backstory on that is. I would love to know what the backstory is on that, but Slay is is iconic.
1: <laughs> Truly. Lada and Jace also crushing it. Everyone, crushing it. <laughs> Thank you for supporting us. Everyone
0: coming in with first names only. Also a pretty a pretty thrilling move.
1: <laughs> That's a good uh, good adjective for it. It's thrilling. It, to be fair, it it has
0: been thrilling because every time we get patrons, I do a little squee, and normally I email it to you or you email it to me, mm-hmm. but this time we got to do it in person. <laughs> That's so true. Oh, we were sitting and we got a squeal together. So please know that Tracy and I did do a little squee and a little dance in person. So yes. thanks for becoming patrons. We really appreciate you joining the little club and keeping our podcast podcasting.
1: Or you can support our show by checking out Candela Obscura by Critical Role. You can head over to DarringtonPress.com slash
0: Candela and download the Quick Start Guide
1: for free. For free, you guys. It's it's for free. You can't get the, I mean, this kind of entertainment for free. What are you, kings? This is For incredible. free? For free? <laughs> <laughs> all right. I am losing it. I
0: think all the words I've ever known are dripping out of my ears. Talk yes. to me about what you have brought for us as an offering today.
1: My offering today was inspired by all the work on Candela Obscura and the idea of spooky Victorian stories. Amazing. To me, I had this question of why are the Victorians so spooky? Why are the Victorians so spooky? Do you actually know the answer? I have some answers. Um, So we've talked about them a lot on this show, the Victorians. They were just they, – they knew the aesthetic. They understood the assignment. And they got vibes in a way that I still don't understand. I feel like it's a chicken and the egg
0: situation. And it's like <laughs> – it's like, are you spooky because you're Victorian or are you Victorian yeah. because you're spooky? Right. Right.
1: I – Hmm. Hmm. I could spend hours debating that because would you say that generations prior were spooky? No, probably not. So what has what was happening in the eighteen, you know, let's say teens to twenties through the end of the century? All right, you know, Ron, I actually have some answers for you. There are a couple factors at play. Okay. (laughs) Okay. One was the rapid change in technology happening, and that was causing new ways of life to occur faster than ever before. Catherine Spooner writes for Cambridge University that, quote, Many ghost story writers explored and even embraced the spectral effects of modernity, and the ghost story flourished in an historical moment when scientific and technological progress was shadowed by the occult. For women writers, the ghost story is a tale of increasing visibility and opportunity. In a climate of social and political reform, women occupied a prominent role in the genre, exploiting the growing appetite for popular and marketable writing, particularly in shorter forms, end quote. It's so interesting
0: to have you start out one of our episodes going right into what women were doing in -hmm. this period, because it's true when I think of Victorian era ghost stories, I do think of the women who wrote them and under pseudonyms often. Yes, Uh, Often not. Uh, But it was a very high stakes situation to publish writing as a woman in that time.
1: Very much so. But it was also one of the first times that women could. And as we'll touch on in a little bit, there was this desperate need for stories because mass paperbacks were suddenly able to be produced and they needed to produce something. So it presented these opportunities for women that weren't there before.
0: So I think... That big rise in new technology is being mirrored right now in this big rise of AI. So everyone, what about, what if we button up collar to ankle Uh and go full Victorian spooky mansion ghosts, but like
1: AI 2023 edition? I'm so on board with this. It's like Victorian cyberpunk, which I realize as I'm saying is steampunk, but also like I want Victorian cyberpunk.
0: I'm sure that exists. I mean, everybody's like, mm, vintage 90s. I want vintage 1890s. 1890s.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Woof, that was the better joke. Good job.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm fully team 1890s at this point. Let's just, let's go back to that. Fashion style, it's great. Long skirts, linen, uh, stays probably. This is
0: going to be one of those moments where we have to say vintage fashion, not vintage
1: values. Oh, always.
0: Yeah. I just want a cool dress, if I'm being honest. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And this is coming from the girl who has some of the coolest dresses out of anyone I've ever met. So. Thank you. Oh, yeah. You crush it in the fashion department when it comes to a style and dress moment.
0: Thanks. Yeah. I didn't used to be a dress girl. Wow. That compliment came out of nowhere and I'm feeling really good. Thank you. (laughs) Anytime. Anytime. I
1: borrowed your dresses while I was out
0: there. You looked really amazing in that black dress. I was going to say, like, I couldn't figure out what the word was. I was trying to put great and brilliant together and got to amazing.
1: Hey, you know what? What is amazing if not great plus brilliant? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is happening, everyone? Okay. All right.
1: So here we are. It is the 1800s technology is rapidly changing everyone's lifestyle. We're seeing the uh, the invention of electricity. But despite this rapid change in technology and social change, death still looms around almost every corner for the Victorians. Yeah. Do they have penicillin? It depends on when you're looking. Uh,
0: right. Of course. But far enough back, there was no penicillin. And not to be crass, but I also want to know what the toilet paper situation was. I think we've talked about this before in other
1: stories, but this
0: is another really high-stakes ask.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, The toilet paper situation, uh, we do not want to talk about. And penicillin is not going to be invented for another at least 30 years. It was 1928. Yeah,
0: no, I will not be. Even Great gatsby I think I've said that before. No penicillin, no Rowan.
1: No, no, you're going to be there for the 40s period of Hollywood, not the 20s silent film. Yeah, but the dresses were not as cool. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So, Victorianera.org writes that the church taught people that ghosts were disturbed spirits whose souls were trapped in purgatory. They could not rest easy because of the sins that they committed. The Protestant church had a different take on the subject. The ghosts were frauds who were masters of deceiving people. The Victorian age witnessed an upheaval in people's beliefs. This new rational outlook generated by the philosophies of Marx and the scientific theories of Darwin challenged many popular existing ideas of which ghosts were one. People were provided with an alternative explanation of the world.
0: We talked about this a lot while you were out here, but just the idea that science is so fast and new and exciting that, of course, people had a hard time sitting down and going, okay, but is spiritualism science or is mm-hmm. it or is it stories? Because I truly am a person in Victorian era England or wherever, and I can't tell a difference. It all seems so weird to me. It
1: seems so weird. It seems magical, even though you're telling me there's an explanation. It seems real, but it also seems unreal. I can see it with my eyes. I can hear it with my ears, but I can't explain it.
0: And what is electricity, if not ghosts that power our
1: homes? Exactly. It's just ghosts in the wires, baby. (laughs) (laughs) So the people clung to the teachings of the church during this time and ghost stories also became very popular, but their beliefs were beginning to be shaken a little. The new outlook served as an eye opener to some people. However, others continued to be scared of death and what happens after. So in reality, the most straightforward explanation for the popularity of Victorian ghost stories is the rise of the periodical press. Ruth Robbins, a professor of English literature at Leeds Metropolitan University, says that ghost stories had traditionally been an oral form, but publishers suddenly needed a mass of content and ghost stories fit the bill. They were short, cheap, generic, repetitive, and able to be cut quite easily to length. As the genre became more popular, authors like Charles Dickens jumped on the trend. His story, A Christmas Carol, was written in 1841, just before Christmas.
0: I have been thinking about this a lot lately, and I'm not exactly sure why. Do you remember in, I believe, our sophomore year of history, I think every class had to watch this, that documentary that talked about like the hundred best inventions
1: throughout time? I don't know if I remember watching that in high school, but it sounds like something I've watched on my own for entertainment since.
0: That's legitimate. Okay, so the invention that they said was the most popular invention of the modern era, Mm -hmm. so, you know, we're past the wheel, we're past fire, right, tools, bronze, all that exciting stuff, was the printing press, which, okay, I get it, right, dissemination of information, but hear me out,
1: birth control? So I am curious when that documentary came out, what they were classifying as, one, an invention, is an invention different than a discovery, because I would also say penicillin, and two... Are we in a postmodern era? Where does the line, when does modern versus postmodern versus early versus ancient, where are those lines? Because that'll also change what I say is the most important invention.
0: No, that's really fair. I feel like I'm remembering that basically from printing press forward to present day was all kind of one lump together time. Yeah, But that also might be my own indignance because I, I genuinely feel birth control blows all of this out of the water in that women are now not beholden necessarily to pregnancy and the flip side of that is that men assuming we're on the binary assuming we're in the
1: patriarchy Mm -hmm. get to have more sex with less repercussions can i ask you a really tough question yes if you could only have penicillin or birth control (laughs) birth control really
0: really Uh I would rather die young of a bug that is now curable than have a child of my own.
1: <laughs> That's fair. You have had that stance for basically as long as I've known you. It, to be fair, I love children. I do think this world is a hellscape. I just don't desire to have one. Which is a valid... Same. We've I don't know if we've talked about this much on the podcast before. I <laughs> I don't think we have. <laughs> I don't know if we have. Uh, yeah, I feel the same way. I'm not really that... Dedicated to having a child of my own, but I, I also don't want to die because a mosquito bite got infected. You know,
0: <laughs> it just whenever I hear about people my age having children, I'm like, what are you? I'm not old enough. You can't be doing that. I'm. We're just
1: little guys. Oh, my first instinct is like, are you scared to tell your parents? And then people are like, we've been <laughs> married for three years and trying for one. I'm like, oh, so so no. <laughs> Hot takes left and right oh, over here. That's what we're known for. All right, so back to the Victorians, who uh, had neither effective birth control nor penicillin. The Guardian writes that ghosts were associated with Christmas long before Dickens immortalized the practice, saying that, quote, Roger Clark, author of A Natural History of Ghosts, Five Hundred Years of Hunting for Proof. Just before Christmas, sixteen forty two, for instance, shepherds were said to have seen ghostly Civil War soldiers battling in the skies. This connection continued in the Victorian era through Dickens' story and through the ghost stories he later published at Christmas in his periodical all the year round, with contributors including Wilkie Collins and Elizabeth Gaskell. It would also continue in the tradition started by M.R. James, the provost of King's College, Cambridge, who would invite a select few students and friends to his rooms each year on Christmas Eve, where he'd read one of the ghost stories he had written, which are still popular today." It was such a popular Victorian tradition. Bring back the ghost story at Christmas.
0: There is a lost episode of Willing and Fable where Tracy and I read Mm -hmm. a Victorian ghost story. Those things are quite long. Uh, They're saying they're short, but in podcast terms, they're quite long. Uh, And we are so used to Mm -hmm. loud, bright action in the media we
1: consume. And Victorian ghost stories are not that. No. No, and keep in mind, a lot of these stories were also paid by the word. So they did pad it out a lot.
0: Being paid by the word is criminal. It it makes no sense. To be clear, if someone wanted to pay me by the word, I'd be locked and loaded. We write so many words, but it's still a bad thing to do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm also someone who realizes that I don't add a lot of fluff into my writing. I'll be like, this is great. I just wrote the longest story. It's so detailed. It's And I'm like, oh, it's two and a half pages. And I'm like, oh, in my head, I was living in a full two-hour movie.
0: I can confirm that that is true. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about clothing. Okay. Clothing often played a large part in Victorian ghost stories as seen in A Christmas Carol. The ghost of Jacob Marley appears as a translucent figure, and he gains tangible presence solely through his, quote, waistcoat, tights, and boots. As the spectral being begins to unravel the bandages covering his head, his jaw effortlessly separates, revealing his literal reliance on fabric to hold himself together. During the Victorian era, individuals were modestly covered, leaving only a limited portion of their bodies exposed. Consequently, it comes as no surprise that they found delight in ghost tales where the ethereal entity seeks out clothing to preserve a sense of decency. The inclusion of clothing became crucial to uphold societal morals and maintain the conventions of literary realism, as a naked ghost could potentially disrupt both.
0: <laughs> Sorry, was the alternative like a hot, sexy, nakedy
1: ghost? I think so. I think anything even remotely implying that there weren't clothes on this ghost is just like you're out of the reality. You can't read that story. It makes no sense. I think it would be a stretch to say that Jacob Marley is a really sexy ghost. I think it's in your imagination, and he can be as sexy as you want him to be. <laughs> That's fair. How dare I slander <laughs> <laughs> naked Jacob
0: Marley? <laughs> but I imagine, again, if it's going to be naked ghosts, it would be a tool to have hot naked women around, right? Like,
1: But that was just so out of the realm of possibility at this time. Okay. That was like immoral... You couldn't read a book that had that in it. So they were all clothed. And I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but, you know, the the typical image of the ghost, which is the floating sheet. Uh, and that came about because people were buried with white shrouds over them. And the idea mm-hmm. being that their spirits would rise and pick the shroud up with them. And that's why they were floating around covered in white sheets. We have not talked about that. Something you and I actually talk about not infrequently, which is <laughs> – Strange, (laughs) that's fair. (laughs) Back in my day, the ghosts wore sheets over their heads. Now these ghosts run around naked. (laughs) All right, so the popularity of ghost stories was strongly related to economic changes. The Industrial Revolution had led people to migrate from rural villages to towns and cities and created a new middle class. They moved into houses that often had servants, many of whom were taken on around October or November when the nights were drawing in early. And new staff found themselves in a completely foreign house, seeing things everywhere and jumping at every new creek. Oh, I never thought about that. Right? It's new servants in new homes, not knowing the history of the home or the place that they're staying at. Brilliant. Yeah. To quote the Guardian again, on top of that, lighting was often provided by gas lamps, which have been implicated in the rise of the ghost story, as the carbon monoxide they admitted could provoke hallucinations. Ah,
0: the craziest history <laughs> ever. Is...
1: Yes, this is Rowan's like favorite fact.
0: If you come up to me randomly and talk to me at a party, there's, I don't know, a 50% chance this will be what I open with. <laughs>
1: We need to raise those chances. It needs to be 100%. from
0: this day forward, there is now a 100% chance. If you don't know me, I will be throwing this back to you. Good, thank
1: you. I'll I'll start it with the uh, ghost sheet shroud Mm. fact, and then you just swoop in.
0: Did you know I read out carbon monoxide poisoning in the Victorian air, and that's why there were ghosts?
1: (laughs) And then we're going to be the hottest girls at the party. We definitely have tummy issues. (laughs) Back to the Guardian article. Quote, in 1848, the Young Fox Sisters of New York, who Rowan covered on our podcast in episode 8. A hundred episodes ago. A hundred and one <laughs> episodes ago. They famously heard a series of tappings, a spirit apparently communicating with them through code, and their story spread quickly. The vogue for spiritualism was underway. Spiritualists believed spirits residing in the afterlife were potentially able to commune with the living, and they set up seances to enable this. End quote. End quote. So, whether it was caused by economics, gas lamps, religion, or some perfect blend of all three, the Victorians experienced a relationship with the supernatural that is still the stuff of legend today. And the reason why, when I think of spooky people, I think of the Victorians.
0: Right. And I don't want it to sound like we're overhyping the Victorian era because there were so many bad things happening at that time. mm mm-hmm. Too many to list. Industrialization comes to mind as is like an ethical nightmare for starters but oh yeah i do absolutely romanticize specifically the ghost story in the victorian era and women getting to publish and write them and all of the aesthetics born of that
1: yeah yeah it's the it's the vibe it's the aesthetic it's the same thing of you love bridgerton for the vibe and the aesthetic and you want to put all of our modern ideologies onto that vibe and aesthetic. If I could get a spooky Bridgerton, I'd be overjoyed. Ooh, spooky Bridgerton. You don't see Regency and spookiness combined a lot. No, it's all flowers and courting. It's all flowers and courting and Greek revival style clothes and statues. But
0: the Greeks had scary ghosts. Yeah, they had really scary ghosts. So come on, baby, where's my Regency era ghost story?
1: I'm so devastated to announce that my story today is not a Regency-era ghost story.
0: That's okay. You can try again next time.
1: Okay. All right. Thanks. (laughs) All right. So Roger Luckhurst wrote a wonderful quote for the British Library, stating that, quote, Every scientific and technological advancement encouraged a kind of magical thinking and was accompanied by a shadow discourse of the occult. For every disenchantment, there was an active reenchantment of the world. Because the advances in science were so rapid, the natural and the supernatural often became blurred in popular thinking, at least for a time. And no area of the literary culture of the Victorians was left untouched by this interplay of science and magic. End quote. The way I'm so excited for more Candela stuff. (laughs) I know. (laughs) The idea of for every disenchantment, there was an of re-enchantment of the world is so cool to me. Chef's kiss writing. Yeah, I had to include that quote. It was so good. So with that backstory and history out of the way, are you ready for my Victorian ghost story?
0: Absolutely. All right,
1: let's get into it. In the picturesque English countryside, a young man lay despondently on his back on the white-tiled foyer of his large ancestral country home. Servants walked by, and he would cry out that he was marooned. A castaway on an island of verdant pastures, and that his once vibrant palate was reduced to nothing but grays. As he did so, he lamented to no one in particular that the home was as beautiful as it was lonely. Maids would try and clean out the room, and he would cry out that he had become dulled by the monotony of life outside the city. He yearned for something to awaken his desires again. He could not be satisfied. His parents had compelled him to spend the summer at the country home instead of indulging in his longing to return to the city. He viewed it as a cruel punishment, a form of torture that was inflicted upon him while others remained oblivious to his suffering. The monotony of daily life had already bored him to the brink of madness, and he knew he needed something to occupy his restless mind. So on one particularly rainy day, the young man decided to explore the home. Though he'd grown up in this gilded cage and had mapped out the entire house by the time he was a small child, there was one place he'd never been allowed to explore. The attic. Well, he thought to himself, he wasn't a child anymore, and no one could tell him where he could and could not go in his own home. So he picked himself up off the floor, after having the servants pull the ladder down for him, and made his way up to the attic to see if he could find anything interesting. Walking into the attic at first, all he really saw were boxes, old tools and dust motes floating about in the morning air. But as he began to dig through the boxes, he found some interesting items, such as a broken grandfather clock that he remembered from his childhood. However, all time seemed to stop when he saw her. She was tucked away, her canvas peeking out from behind a stack of hat boxes, he pulled out the painting to reveal her in her full glory. Her beautiful face was only half-finished as she sat demurely upon a chair surrounded by fresh flowers. A surge of electricity coursed through him as if he were struck by lightning. In that moment, it felt as if he took his first breath after he was certain he would drown in apathy. She became his muse, his purpose, and the creature breathing life into his dormant existence. Determined to give her the attention she deserved, the young man had the servants bring her down from the attic, placing her in his painting studio. He embarked upon the mission of completing her, torn between cursing the artist who had abandoned her in the first place and thanking them for bestowing such a gift upon him. The young man found himself captivated by the woman in the painting, her half-finished face evoking a sense of nostalgic longing in him. He felt a connection with her, as if she were calling out to him from the canvas itself. Over the next few days, he devoted himself to the task of completing the painting. He was determined to bring her into the world with all the skill and passion she deserved. So he agonized over every brushstroke, every color choice, and every delicate detail that the original artist had captured— The young man gathered his paints, brushes and palette, and meticulously selected colors that would complement the existing elements of the painting. He mixed pigments and experimented with different techniques, striving to bring the woman to life in a way that honored the original artist's vision, while infusing his own creativity into the work. Time seemed to blur as he worked tirelessly, losing himself in the act of creation— He meticulously blended shades, adding depth and dimension to the woman's features, her eyes now sparkling with a newfound vitality. Stroke? By delicate stroke, he breathed life into the canvas, imbuing the artwork with his own emotions and experiences. Perhaps what happened next was due to the fact that he'd barely slept in almost three days. Perhaps it was the gas lamps making his head dizzy. Or perhaps it was fate showing him her hand once more. Because late on the third night, or early morning, he wasn't sure, he looked at his beautiful muse and swore he saw her turn her head and look back at him. Her eyes no longer stared longingly off into the distance, but bore right into his soul. Startled, the young man stumbled back, his heart racing in his chest. He couldn't believe his eyes. He blinked several times, trying to rationalize what he was witnessing. Summoning the courage to approach the painting once more, he cautiously stepped closer, his footsteps echoing in the silence of the studio. The woman's eyes followed his every move, her expression evolving from a mere painting to something undeniably alive. A sense of anticipation and curiosity welled up within him, overriding any fear or disbelief. With trembling hands, he reached out and touched the painting's surface, expecting to feel the cold, unyielding canvas. But to his astonishment, his fingertips made contact with warm, soft skin. A gasp escaped his lips as he withdrew his hand, his mind reeling with disbelief and wonder. Suddenly, the woman stepped forward, emerging from the painting like a specter materializing in the real world. She gracefully descended onto the studio floor, her presence ethereal and captivating. The young man's breath caught in his throat as he stared at her in awe. A small, delicate smile tugged at the corner of her lips. I've been waiting for you, she said softly. Me? He gasped, shocked at her perfect voice. She reached forward and trailed her fingers along his cheek, her nails softly scraping along his stubble. Yes, you're just the man I was looking for. He felt his heart rattle inside of his chest. You, you are everything that I have ever dreamed of having. A pretty blush crept up her cheeks as she looked into his eyes. Just promise me one thing. She whispered softly, her lips mere inches from his. Anything. And he meant it. He would lasso the moon and pull it down for her if she asked him for it. I want your heart. The young man agreed without hesitation, pride and validation overshadowing anything else he may have felt in that moment. Until her hand sank into his chest. He looked down in shock and saw her dainty wrist protruding from between his ribs. His eyes widened in shock, witnessing the unthinkable unfold before him. She leaned in, her lips brushing against his ear once more. "'I am not yours to possess,' she whispered, her voice hauntingly gentle. With a firm tug, she ripped the young man's heart out of his chest and held it in the air before him. "'But I appreciate the gift you've given me today.' The young man was dead before he hit the ground. And the woman from the portrait simply stepped over his body as she walked out of the room and into the world. But my question is, was she clothed? (laughs) I specifically gave no descriptions of her intentionally. So she was not. She can be naked. She could be any hair color, eye color, skin color that you can imagine. Same with him. They are whoever you picture them to be.
0: I'm going to go with she wasn't clothed because she manic, she pixied, she dream (laughs) girled.
1: Yes, I was telling my sister about this when I was working on it. I was like, "Okay, I'm writing this ghost story about this painter who sees this painting, and she's it's very Galatea. It's very you know, she's perfect. I'm gonna That's bring exactly her to life." That's exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> I was looking up paintings of Galatea and Pygmalion. Yes, yes. And then I was like, and then she rips his heart out, literally. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> it's it's so
0: funny to me that you basically did like a soft boy emo like cooler than you hipster guy because um, yeah that energy is all over victorian stories or even just like journal entries from that time you, you only get the vibes if you're wealthy thank you for catching that because if you're not wealthy you're the character in the story that's suffering so that the
1: wealthy person can learn something yes i wanted him to be a little insufferable he's fully insufferable I want it every time he has to do anything, he makes someone else do it for him. And the idea of him laying in the way of the servants and whining about his giant home he has to stay at. Like, screw you, dude. That sucks. For
0: me, it was finding the painting in the attic and not bringing it downstairs when you go back downstairs. Just having someone else come mm-hmm. up and get it for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's this Instagram account called Beam Me Up Soft Boy. Oh my God, that's amazing! Screen grabs of texts and dating websites of guys who you know think they're like such good guys, Mm -hmm, nice guy TM. Yes, but Mm -hmm. they're being absolutely horrendous people. My favorite from the other day was some guy in a text thread going, "You know, hey, I'm so sorry your grandma died. You must be going through such a hard time." And then the next text is, "But you know, you said you'd send me tit pics, so um, (gasps) I know you." And then the next text was like i know you're busy and like don't worry about it and then the next text was like but if you could though (laughs)
1: like that was the flow oh my god
0: and this guy gives that energy
1: (laughs) good that's exactly the energy i wanted him to give i wanted you to be on her side because thinking of the stories like galatea or you know stories about people bringing creatures to life and i know this isn't the most straightforward ghost story but it's what i wanted to write so it's It's what we have. And I wanted her to see what was happening and be like, "No, thank you. I am here because of you. But also, I hate you for thinking that means that I belong to you.
0: If folks liked Tracy's story just now, you should pick up Galatea by Madeline Miller. And it's a short story. It's very little. It Mm -hmm. is very yellow Mm wallpaper-esque. And it captures a lot of this same vibe. And I... The second you started with the painting, I was like, oh, Galatea, this is fantastic. <laughs> I, and I like that you carried that through because we were just talking about the ancient Greek uh, and Roman styles that went to Regency. But the Victorians were also very interested in history. Very much so. It, would, it makes perfect sense that you would see this in a story from that time.
1: Yeah, I also pulled from Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, because the idea of a man creating life and that life going wrong.
0: Remember that time on the internet we said that Mary Shelley wrote the first sci-fi book and then the whole internet got
1: really upset? They got so mad when we said that. And it's a whole conversation, but I still stand by Mary Shelley wrote the first sci-fi story.
0: I'll stand by that too. Thank you. Solidarity. Thank you for covering this. I feel like this topic was so on brand, but also what we've been discussing nonstop, basically mm-hmm. lately, especially while you were out here, just this period and all of the eeriness that came from it. And so this felt
1: like a little treat. Thank you. It was, it was absolutely the topic that I had to research after all the work that we did. Because we did so much research while we were working, getting to come back and share it with our podcast audience was so exciting to me. I was putting aside other topics to put this one forward because I was excited to bring bring it to light.
0: Oh, 100%. And we miss podcasting a lot.
1: And we missed yeah. everyone.
0: So Tracy, thanks for giving us all a little
1: treat. Yeah. All right. So because I gave everyone a little treat, it is your turn. Now you have to tell me something good.
0: Oh, I'm boring. My something good is Candela coming out. I it's am a pretty just good something so, good. It's a pretty good something good. I'm just so thrilled. It's been a secret for a minute and it's been such a labor of love and everyone on the team is absolutely fantastic working their butts off. We get to work with some really spectacular artists. I'm really mm-hmm. excited for folks to see artwork in the book and the 200 odd more pages we have and it was such a treat working with you while you were out here i never in a million years would have thought that that could happen but as soon as we had the opportunity to phone a friend yeah i <laughs> was like do i have the writer for you uh, it's so easy to collaborate with you because we collaborate all the time yeah so that process was just Not only exceedingly easy, but very fun. Collaborating with people can be really difficult, but it it was easy breezy having you out here. And we got to work with Spencer Stark, who's our dear friend and is just a delight.
1: Yeah, the three of us getting to work together was uh, something I will carry with me. I truly and I genuinely mean this for the rest of my life. That was um, seeing two people so brilliant at what they do who had been working so hard and so passionately at something getting not only getting to see you guys do what you do best because you were all about writing and research and nuance and Spencer understands all of those things and and also brought in the ideas of game design and storytelling in a different perspective because we write we write stories and he builds worlds for people to tell stories and so learning from that different dynamic between the two of you was so cool and so eye-opening and it just felt like I got to sit in and like watch people be amazing for a full month while getting to like learn and <laughs> grow and contribute and so shout out to you guys for creating an environment where on day one I was able to contribute because you were just so excited to bring me into the process
0: oh my god are you kidding me you were like coming in with a red cape on we were so happy to have you <laughs> I I think we've talked about this I know Spencer and I have but uh, it's kind of my personal philosophy and I think I can comfortably sp- speak for Spencer on this um, because we've worked together so much. But like building a game is like building a fantastic scaffolding of lore mm-hmm. for people to put whatever they're excited about into it, to build up what they love and to ignore what they don't. And so it is not unlike this podcast, the process of creating it. It's very fun. I I feel like when we podcast, we're bringing people little details and things to be excited about and mm-hmm. working on the game was very similar
1: yeah yeah it was it it's you guys it's a really good game really cool people worked on it and you can get the quick start guide for free i can't emphasize enough how much you can get something so cool for so zero dollars do it <laughs> daringtonpress.com slash candela go download the quick start guide today and keep an eye out for the full book because it's coming tracy tell me something good my something good is, you know, very similar. I love getting to work on Candela, but I'll turn it into a different direction um, and say that I, I got to do another PowerPoint party.
0: Oh, would you please tell me about the topics that everyone covered? Because I saw videos, but I couldn't see what was on the screen.
1: Yeah, yeah, I will. Um, So I took AI and took a picture of everyone who was going to the party and blended all of my friends together. So I would take two people and blend them into a new person and oh, then God. would roast that person. Like this person has never been on time to anything in their life or like this person does this, this, and It was very fun. It, it was me and Grace, actually, a friend of ours who was hilarious sitting and roasting these fake images of people. That's the only roast I ever want to go to. Exactly. It was such a roast of love. There was no, there was no malice in it. And it that's what made it really fun. I'm constantly afraid of being roasted, so. (laughs) And no one was actually being roasted because this wasn't anyone. It's so good. So my favorite presentation was actually Grace's. She has a doctorate in physical therapy. (laughs) And she brought up a presentation that was beautiful and floral and very decorative. And then she transitioned to her first slide. And it was seven lessons she learned from dissecting a human body. Oh, hell yeah. Yes. It had me... Tears streaming down my face laughing. Can you give us some of the info? Oh, yeah. So um, she talked about how in... (laughs) Her first one was they'll let pretty much anyone do it. And... In America, there's different. She talked about the different cultural practices of death. So in America, that's they put the name of the person next to the body, their their occupation, info about them. It was very much like you don't make jokes around the body; you're very serious. And then she did her other part of her research in Australia, and mm-hmm. she walked in, and they just had the head sitting on the table, and there was a there was a bin of of limbs, and she's like, oh, do you want to go look at a look at an arm? Go in the arm bin. And that was shocking. Um, my favorite one was that she said Disney adults are everywhere and one of them might uh, dissect your human body when you pass. And there was someone in her program who needed to listen to the Frozen soundtrack in order to get through the process. And now she cannot listen to Frozen without seeing dead bodies in her mind. <laughs> Why on <laughs> earth? That is When so I tell unhinged. you, <laughs> this was the most <laughs> insane, hilarious, unhinged presentation i have ever seen another one her husband who's also equally hilarious did it on the history of rick rolling oh so good it was so good another friend of ours opened it up and he acted like he was going to talk about the brave little toaster uh sequel which is the brave little toaster goes to mars and he's like talking about it and then it actually was a real discussion about colonizing mars and what that looks like and why it's bad and what elon musk is doing oh the other best one which was amazing was our friend who did a cost-benefit analysis of every single person she's dated, where she talked about what they brought into her life, and then also the trauma they caused, and ended it talking about how much she loves her fiancé. But it was so funny and are witty. Are you kidding me? Oh, it was incredible. People are brilliant. Yeah. Every single person understood the assignment. Uh, Taylor Ash, she did all the music for our podcast, talked about why Pippin is the most relatable character in Lord of the Rings. She had a whole <laughs> argument about why he's the most relatable
0: that is such a Taylor move. I love mm-hmm. it. I would mm-hmm. love to see that. I'm now trying to do a very quick cost-benefit analysis of everyone I've dated.
1: Right? It's so funny. She, uh, Marianne, who did that presentation, she wore something that represented each person she had dated. And so she showed up looking wildly insane. And then we understood why. And then she also used AI to create art. That represented each person that she had dated and she kept the prompt that she used in the AI in the presentation so we could see what unhinged things she wrote to get those results.
0: Oh, that's so good.
1: So good. So if you are even remotely considering having a PowerPoint party with your friends, just do it. It's so fun. They're so fun.
0: They're so fun. I've only ever done one and it was with y'all and it was amazing.
1: Yeah, we've done four of them now and there's a reason because they're so fun.
0: Well, friends, thanks for bearing with us while we were away for a little bit. Uh, We hope that you, like us, think that it was very worth it.
1: Uh, And we're glad to see you again. Or hear you again. We're
0: glad you get to hear us again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And thank you so much for joining us. And remember that stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend.
0: Or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon. Okay? (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our logo is by Jamie Harrison, and our music is by Taylor Ashe. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes and custom merch, or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out William and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. That was a better joke. Good job. (laughs) Oh, I can't (laughs) see.